0: God, we love you. We just, we just create this space and this time for you this morning. Whenever we're listening this evening, God, we need to. We need to get better at creating space. We are so good at filling our lives with noise. Even when we're bound to our houses, we still somehow find noise. God, we are sorry. We are sorry for the noise. We are sorry for creating distraction. And not leaning into your very goodness that you have supplied and will supply for eternity for us. God, we thank you that the peace, the joy, it all exists in the quiet place. As we carve time out for you, as we turn the noise down, it is all there. The wisdom, the discernment, it is all there. So, God, this morning or this evening, we take this opportunity just to reduce the noise We come to you, to your altar. Would you speak to us? Open our ears, open our eyes to see as you see, to think the greater things that are your kingdom, to speak the greater things that are your kingdom, and to indulge in the things, the greater things, that is you, Jesus, that is your spirit and your presence, and that is you, Father. Lord God Almighty.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for worship team. Sorry, you didn't get to hear the worship this morning. (laughs) But Jesus did. I believe our recording is working now. So we're going to hear from Sim shortly. Uh, firstly, we're just going to hear from the disciple Matthew. He's still, he's still with us, or at least his words are in Matthew chapter 10. Um, I'll just jump into verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me, is not fit to be my disciple, or in the uh, New King James Version says, He's not worthy to be my disciple. So we see here the words of Jesus uh, that love has a measurement. And I believe the Lord wants to increase his love in our hearts as a church and as a people, as individuals. Love has a measurement. He who loves mother, father, son, daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So the love of God towards us must be, is greater than the love of a a mother or father as we know it towards their children. And the child's response in love towards mother and father um, is not as great as our response should be in our love towards our heavenly father. So that's that's really struck my heart this week. It's really awesome. You can read right through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. And it all speaks about the love of the Father uh, towards his children. is is so fiery, it's so full, but it, it, it's actually demanding. It demands a response because of his very nature. It's un- the love of God is uncompromising. And it is so passionate, so fiery towards us that it de- it demands a response. And if we just walk away and turn a blind eye to God's love in our life, then we, are, we will come unstuck and we will face the judgment of God in the future. So <clears throat> love is... Requires a, it's, It requires a response, but a response out of love. And, um, yeah, the love of God is uncompromising. And it, it requires us to respond to him, firstly in love for him, but then if you read further down, it speaks about uh, love has a measurement on this earth with one another as well. Uh, because he says, goes on to talk about, if you give a cup of cold water to one of my disciples, you, you will not lose your reward. So he speaks about love having an outworking. Uh, you know, we, we can't say we love God passionately and we don't love one another. And the way that we display our love for one another is, is through service, serving one another. Uh, in action, but obviously in our attitude as well. And um, I think these are the days where where his church is, is being tested. You know, we're being tested in our attitude towards one another. We're being tested in our love towards God. And I, I just want to ask you, you know, is your love genuine? Is your love for God genuine? Does it create a responsibility in your heart? Does it require... Does it create a right attitude uh, towards each other? And um, these are the days where the church is being tested, uh, where we, we're not meeting uh, together formally, but where, where is your heart? And I, I believe God wants to break off just a spirit of independence. Uh, he wants us to be firstly dependent on him and then dependent on one another. And uh, our love for the body of Christ has to be greater uh, than even a natural earthly love that we would have uh, for our own family. So a spiritual family, the love for our spiritual family must be greater than a natural love that you would have. Why? Because a spiritual love is from God and that's eternal, whereas a natural love... Uh, is only for this earth. So, in heaven, there is no marriage because there's a there's a greater love. The marriage involves commitment on an, in an earthly sense, and it is love is beautiful, and it is a, one of the ways that God displays His love. The bridegroom's love for the bride is through earthly marriage. I'm not degrading that, but the spiritual love that God has for us, and uh, that we respond to him with, and then we display to one another, is is greater. So I, I believe he wants to break off independence, independent attitudes that we have, uh, which is based in pride that doesn't allow you to just let down the defenses and just come uh, in, in unity. And I believe that's a word for the church that we We must grow in the love of God and if Jesus measures the amount of love that you have for him, he also measures the amount of love that we have for one another. And I think these days is opportunity we can grow. We can grow in the love that we have for God and we can grow in the love that we have for one another. And I'm challenged by that in these times where there's... Opportunity to, to disagree and and form uh, bad attitudes, independent attitudes, and and you know rebellious attitudes. It's we need God's love more and more in His body, in His church, and, and we want to grow in His love. Grow so love has a growth; it, it must increase. The Lord Jesus Himself talked about. Uh, that love has a measure. He actually looks down and sees how much do you love me. Is the love that you have for me greater than the love that you have for your mother and your father? Is the love that you have for me greater than the love uh, that you have for your own children? And he looks down. He's not satisfied uh, with with just that measure of love. He wants it to increase. And then he, he also wants it to increase in the way that we display his love to one another. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is encompassing in in greatness and in wisdom and uh, it doesn't change. Those seasons may change. Trouble may come and go in this world but your love does not change and your requirements for us to respond to you in that love does not change. Uh, Thank you for your eternal word. And Lord, even in these days, Lord, we ask that you would bring us together as a church, bring us together, unite us together in your love. Unite us, make us one. Jesus, as you prayed in John 17, uh, that, that your church, before you went, Uh, to the Father. You prayed that we would be one, that we would, as a church, reflect the relationship that you have with your Father. And may we do that. May we be faithful reflectors of your love in Jesus' name. So I'm going to invite our brother Sim to uh, come and share with us what God has put in your heart for the church. And we want to thank you for the time that you spent in God's presence, preparing uh, to give a word to the church. Bless you. We're excited to hear and uh, we're ready to, to learn from what you've received from the Lord.
2: Thanks, Julesy. A Good morning and good night to people who tuned in in the evening time. Um, yeah, it's a privilege to get to share with you guys this morning, and when when Jules asked me, it was maybe two weeks ago, um, or roundabout, um, if I had something to share with the church, I love Jules's question, it's just, do you have something to share? It's, it's not, <laughs> could you prepare something to share? <laughs> <laughs> Which I love, it actually just, it builds my own faith, and it was an awesome testimony of, of Tess's message last week, of just, you've got a message to share with the church, um, so, so these are times where we do need to hear um, clearly from the Lord, we do need to hear words in season, and, and there needs to be a sharpness and directness, and as soon as Jules sent me that message, the first thing that, that hit my mind was something that actually comes from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30 verse 6, which we'll go into a bit of a bit of a study um, in 1 Samuel, but it's to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And it sounds like a bit of a mysterious concept. What, what would it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? We we know that there's all the self-help and all the, you know, go on this introspection journey, soul-searching. It has nothing to do with that, but it, it's a, it's actually this confirmation of who God has made you and, and actually a dwelling and meditation on his promises over your life, and you're refusing to let go of them. And and we'll see this play out in, in the life of David, but even specifically in this story from, from first Samuel. And so what, what the Lord put his hand on when, when I heard that expression, which I actually hadn't heard it in in a while, hadn't been um, in the book of first Samuel for, for a while, actually since i um, living in, in California. But then he's really highlighted remembrance and, and the power of remembrance and kind of walk through a few, a few scriptures in, in regard to that. And, yeah, just how much the Lord wants us to, to constantly in its attention of perpetually dwelling on his nature, who he has been to us, but also then enabling us to look into the future with hope and expectation for those promises to continue to be fulfilled. But The, the very testimony of Christ in our life being a spirit of prophecy in our lives that's just breathing hope as we keep looking because it's not, we're not future-minded in the, the typical sense of we're always looking into the future to be fulfilled we can actually be perpetually content and satisfied in our heart, but then continually longing. And, and we know that we're longing for Christ's return. Uh, I'm going to read a, a quote. Interestingly enough, uh, Bill Johnson, who's one of the senior pastors at Bethel, he wrote a book called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. <laughs> um, and, I, and I dug it up and I realized, oh, we actually studied, like we had to read this book, the part of our class content, uh, um, the college in, in Bethel. And, um, this quote just, just jumped off jumped off the page to me, so I'm just going to just read it to you guys, and I believe it is, is a word in season for us, even though, you know, that book was written years ago. So it reads, Our ability to connect with what God is doing in the midst of difficult circumstances depends on our ability to remember who he is and what he has done in our lives. Our relational history with him. I guarantee that if you are currently facing a situation that seems beyond your strength or understanding, and you take some time to rehearse your history with the Lord over the last 12 months or so, you will always find a tool, a prophetic word, a verse that has leapt out of you, a testimony, a prayer strategy that God has put in your arsenal, something that provides a key to overcome the present situation. He gives some fatherly advice here, which is you also might need to repent. (laughs) Which, believe me, we need to hear this. We need to hear it from fathers. (laughs) So we know we're loved in the midst of being told we need to repent. (laughs) For any hardness of heart that has kept you from getting, or I would even say receiving, what he, referring to God, has made available to you. Which is something that I, I believe we do need to hear because in the, in the midst of confusion for a lot of people and a cloudiness of mind or clarity in hearing God's voice, whatever it may be, keeping our heart pure and sensitive to his voice is going to be the key in that. Um, I am going to jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. For those of you who have your Bibles on hand and, and nearby, feel free to join me. David's life is a fascinating one. Um, David's experienced a a lot of rejection up until this point. He was anointed by Samuel about 10 years or about a decade earlier to be king. Um, He's he's slain Goliath. He's been taken into the king's palace. He's married the king's daughter. (laughs) He seems to be doing really well. And then the king, who is Saul at the time, becomes jealous of him because a song is going around that, you know, Saul slays a thousand, but then King David slays 10,000 and um, a bit of jealousy arises in um, Saul's heart. And then pretty much for the next 10 years, Saul is trying to kill David <laughs> and he's out of the palace. If you guys know some of the stories of, of David and and his life, which you can find in 1 Samuel and, and Chronicles as well. But then he finds these, you know, disenfranchised men who are just like got nothing to live for pretty much. They're just like pretty isolated and, yeah, just disenfranchised. They're pretty over life. He finds them, he turns them into mighty men. <laughs> so he's just taken the rejects really and turned them into these incredible men who, you know, if you like wars and all the rest of it, I'm probably appealing more to the guys a bit, but just slaying people <laughs> left, right and centre. Not making a sexist comment there, but, you know, guys just do get down with a bit of bloodshed. Not every girl does, <laughs> you know. Um, and then, and then, so David actually then is almost covertly still trying to honour Israel, God's kingdom. He's fighting for the enemy but against the enemies of Israel. Um, and then a war goes down where the Philistines are actually wanting to take on Israel and then they're afraid that David won't <laughs> fight alongside them would would actually turn on them. So then David gets rejected by the enemies of God being the Philistines. And I'm just painting the scene for where we land in chapter 30. Quick little revising 30 chapters, but jump into chapter 30 just to give you guys some context for it. He's coming back from just being rejected by the enemies of God and he's he's kind of gone back to where his home base was. Then it happened when David, and we're in the first verse, just so you guys know. Then it happened when David and his men came to Zitlag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Zitlag and had overthrown Zitlag and burned it with fire. This is where all his people are. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. I just want to stop there. So these are these are the men that David has like laid his life down for, turned these absolute nobodies into a somebody, these guys who are just isolated, living no kind of life, you know, with any meaning or purpose. He sent them these mighty men, and then they wanna these exact men want to stone him. <laughs> because everything's just gone pear-shaped. The whole city that they were in has been been raided, burned. All of their family, their loved ones are gone. <laughs> so David's in an interesting position here. Like I don't, I don't think we can exactly relate with the level of rejection <laughs> this man has faced. And then for, it, for his own, for the people that he's just laid his life down, fought alongside, shoulder to shoulder with, now are talking about stoning him and killing him, which you know shows us something about the state of fallen man that when all the issues go pear-shaped, we want to just take out the lead that they must be to blame, right? <laughs> 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 this next verse or this next sentence in this verse is, is the one that I want us to spend some time meditating on, and it's actually a mystery verse, in my opinion. Um, and the verse is, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It doesn't tell us how he did that. It doesn't tell us what he did to do that. But we see, I'm going to go through, I think, almost to the end of this chapter, just because of the beauty of what unfolds, because of the decision David makes, which to me I'm imagining it's like, I know the promises of God on my life. This looks about as bad as it could possibly look. My own people want to kill me. I'm supposed to be king, according to this prophet who anointed me like 10 years ago. But the current king has just been trying to kill me for the last 10 years so that it doesn't look like it's, you know, in the near future. But he's just trying to deal imminently with what's at hand, right? And that's that his own people want to kill him. And what's his posture? He actually turns to intimacy and fellowship with the Lord. He turns into the place of I'm going to dwell and hide myself in him and I'm going to rely on him to be my strength and carry me through. And I just, I just love this story, so we're all going to be blessed by reading it. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band, being those who have just taken over the city and burned it, the Amalekites, shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue, for you'll surely overtake them and you'll surely rescue all. That's a good God we have right there. (laughs) He'll rescue all. So it's beautiful. So David went and he and the 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besor where those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor remained behind. Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate. And they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins and he ate. Then his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights, this being the little Egyptian fellow. David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites and on that which which belongs to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb and we burned Zitlag with fire. Then David said to him, Will you bring me down to the band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Okay, bloodshed time. David slaughtered them from twilight until evening of the next day. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of slaughtering, but we're in, we're in New Covenant. We're not all about killing people, but in this current time, the enemies of God, they do just get decimated and slaughtered. Like, that is the will of God that they be destroyed. Okay, and and also they've just taken all their wives and children. Anyway, just, just in case you need some justification for God is ruthless and you don't want to be on his bad side, but... We're on his good side and he loves us and he'll fiercely protect us and fight for us. Good to keep that in mind. Okay. And not a man of the mix escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. (laughs) Good to have a camel at that point. (laughs) So David, okay, this, this part's beautiful too. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves, David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people drove ahead of the other livestock. livestock, And they said, this is David's spoil. I love this story. It's awesome. And we see that this is a direct result of verse 6. Because how easy would it have been in that moment when everything has just gone completely pear-shaped? Your own people want to kill you. If he had not made this one decision, which I think is a deep decision, <laughs> to strengthen himself in the Lord, none of what we just read would have unfolded. He probably would have just been running for his life. He was pretty used to that at that point, just to flee when people were trying to take his life. But instead he made a decision to strengthen himself. He led, ended up being 400 of his men, to go and they rescued all they brought back everything that was taken nothing like which we see we see the father's heart in that to, when the enemy has stolen that he wants to restore or rescue or bring it all back to us which which is our father's heart and, and we see it through king david in in his decision to posture his, his heart in submission to the father and the father does and, and enacts his will there all righty we're going to we're going to learn a bit from from david's life but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be bouncing around just, just slightly, just because I want, I want us to have a, a full picture of, of this strengthening yourself in the Lord and, and kind of unpack it in the Scripture, in the New Testament to see what, what could that mean for our lives. We, we don't actually know exactly how David strengthened himself. We just know that he did, and and it had some incredible um, results, <laughs> some great outcomes. Um. I want to really quickly. I'm just going to make a reference to this verse, so don't worry about going there with me. But it's in First Timothy chapter one and verse 18 to 19, and and again we've got Paul, who who really is a fatherly figure, speaking into the life of Timothy, and he and he, and he encourages him almost in this this similar vein that I'm, I'm getting at with with taking hold of the promises of God, or or even Bill Johnson's advice that we would remember back, like. We would rehearse our history with the Lord and and we know that for a lot of us and a lot of people in this time it's a difficult circumstance and situation and so we need to know how to and what it looks like to strengthen ourselves and and Bill does give the advice of a prophetic word which for some of us that might just be you know right right by our side to just grab a prophetic word that we've heard um also might not be um but there is a a way that we can look back on our history with God and and see his nature revealed to us to actually reconfirm and and reestablish who our God is to us. We need to be so more certain than anything else. We need to know who God is to us. Everything else is actually secondary. Um, Paul gives Timothy some, some awesome instruction, which is actually as a result of like the faith that's come from your grandma was passed down to your mom and the faith that is in your mom is in you which is a beautiful picture, actually, of the generational blessing of, of faith being bestowed because um, Tim had the tendency to get a bit fearful and a bit uncertain, which you can you can hear the way that Paul talks to him in his letters that he's often had some issues, you know. Us knowing that we don't have a spirit of fear is probably because Timothy did have a spirit of fear <laughs> and that you actually have a spirit of power, love. And he, Paul was actually, as a father, correcting his son in that area. And, you know, anyway, I won't get into all that for now, but back to First Timothy 1, 18, 19, I'm actually reading part of it from the Passion. And Paul calls him to to be that he is entrusted with the responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry. In keeping with the prophecies spoken over you, with this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. So this is, this is powerful because Timothy is a pastor and a church church leader and Paul's going, this has been spoken over you, like from the very first prophetic word you've ever heard. This has been spoken over you and called out in you and, and believe those words, believe what the Lord's spoken to you and, and hold firm and take hold of that. And actually when you're facing hardship and difficulty, use those same words or, or for us we can just find promises of God and there's going to be scriptures that that speak to you really clearly. And all of us are going to have different scriptures, that there's this a clarity and a piercing nature in which they speak into our heart. And really Paul's instruction here is take hold of that, use them as your weapons. Don't try and in this hour muster up your strength and your human effort to be this really you know, ferocious, fierce fighter. Take a hold of what actually makes you strong. Take a hold of the promises of God over your life. Take a hold of your history in the Lord and go, here's my weapons to fight. Here's who, here's who my God is, and here's who I've seen Him to be. Here's who who He will continue to be. Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Alrighty, I'm gonna I'm gonna move through a few different ideas just because I want to speak to a different a different amount of people where their heart posture could be in different places in this season. Um, and and the part that the Lord really put His hand on in my own life was was communion, and and some of us just think that is, you know, the partaking of, of the body being the bread and, and the wine being the blood. But really, this is a perpetual state that we need to be in. And, and really, intimacy is everything. And and this time of communion with Jesus can't just be when you take the time to, you know, take the elements, take the, the body, take the bread and the wine. This needs to be something where we're continually going into that secret place, continually finding the Father and, and the Son there. Um I do love the the moment of, of Jesus. He, he gives us communion for us. <laughs> and and I want to jump into to Luke chapter 22 just briefly to touch on this. And it's verse 19 and 20. I'm just going to highlight what he says about, about the elements, about the body and about the bread and about the, the blood and the wine. He says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I believe the Lord has just given us a powerhouse for our faith right here. Because really, in terms of re- remembrance and remembering back on on what matters and what's going to carry us through every difficult situation, every everything we're going to face in this life, which we're actually promised Tribulation and difficulties, Jesus is like, Yep, that's gonna come. <laughs> you know, we're not hiding from tribulation and difficulties. It's just actually a byproduct of walking and following Christ. Just so we so we know we're not so taken off guard and surprised by it. But this is the most powerful thing we can do as believers is remember on his body, his life given for us. And he knows we're gonna forget to remember. <laughs> so he's Do this in remembrance of me. He knows this is a key to us, our longevity, as those who follow him. And then the verse 20, this cup, which is poured out, and he's speaking about his life. He's he's prophesying, "My, my, my life is going to be poured out. My blood is going to pour out of my body on the cross. This is the new covenant, and it's in my blood. And there's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. And there's nothing that can break that covenant. You enter into that covenant with him. There is nothing that can break it. There is nothing that can touch touch it. Mm. I'm going to jump, jump back into a, a teaching and a, a revelation from Paul. You guys can come with me if you'd like to in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. We'll go through to about verse 14. It gives us perspective in in what it means to have Christ as everything. <laughs> and and this remembering back on, on who he is to you is what is going to anchor your soul in this time. It's, it's going to mean you're immovable. If, if the cross is is the of most paramount importance to your life, you're not going to be shaken in this time. And I'm, I'm not having a dig if you are shaken in this time. I'm just saying if the cross is actually just centralised in your life and you're just fixated on, on that very picture, that depiction of communion, of receiving his life given for you and his blood poured out for you, you won't be able to be moved. Like you won't you won't be able to not fall and get back up. All right, Philippians 3 verse 8. Paul says, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. i just jump into verse 13 and 14. That actually, that actually tells us, it's about to make reference to having laid hold of it. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about a fellowship of suffering, being conformed to his death, believing that in that I'll actually attain to a resurrection of the dead. He also teaches this really similarly in Romans chapter 6, that we have been co-crucified and will be co-resurrected. So it's actually our responsibility, just as Christ went into the ground and died, for us to go into the ground and die as an old man, as an old creature, and allow his resurrection power, which Paul is resting his whole life on. He's counting everything as loss. Mm. A- anything he's gained in his life, he's going, it's rubbish. Mm. And only that I may gain Christ. You just see the posture of Paul's heart. Only that I may gain him. Only that I may know him. Mm. That's all he's hes caring about. And we need, we need to get the tension, which is <laughs> Christ is everything, and everything pales in comparison. And that's why the, the teaching that, that even Jules shared from Matthew, that shouldn't be challenging to us. And I don't say that offensively. Everything should be for, forsaken when you put it in balance with Christ. You shouldn't have a love that could even amount to anything near the love you would have for Christ in family, in children. And are we meant to have a great love for our, for our family, husbands and wives and children. Absolutely. But but Jesus is actually teaching you need to understand what it means to love me. That other loves would would be of such little importance, would be of such a diminishing value in comparison to the love you have for me. Which is why he's, he's so bold in what he, he's like it, that you would hate them. Is he saying hate your family? Hate no. But he's saying in comparison to the love you would have for me, it would be as if it would be as if you didn't even have a wife or a husband or children course Christ never has them on the altar. We just read about David and his story. He's, he's keen on rescuing all of them, restoring all of them. They are of such importance to him, but he's actually revealing to us how much more important am I to be to you. Alrighty chapter 3 verse 13, 14. Brethren, family, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we see this this same posture that we've just just read in the previous verses. It's just one thing matters. It's It's just him and only him. And we see this language of like forgetting, which I sound like I'm contradicting myself. I'm talking about remembrance, right? But there is this tension and it's actually a heart posture. It's everything in the past would would be of such little significance compared to the one who is in your present and future and the one to whom we're actually living for. The reason for our existence being Christ and the reason why we have an existence being him crucified, that we have life in us, because he also teaches this beautiful, challenging um, sermon in in John chapter 6. Actually, I'm going to touch on it real quick. Verse verse um, 53 and we'll, we'll go through till 56. I know I've just stopped halfway through a verse in Philippians, but this is good. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. No life. So therefore, there is only life if we drink his blood and eat his flesh. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, speaking about the resurrection of the dead. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So this, this communion, this partaking of the flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ means you can abide in him. Without that, there is no life in you. It's only through the abiding in the one who is life that you have any life, that you have any breath. I love this teaching because he hasn't taught on communion yet. <laughs> so they're taking him at face value going, you want us to literally eat you. Like, your teaching is cannibalism. <laughs> and we're Jews and we are all extremely offended. <laughs> it's a really successful preach. Clearly we see it in um, verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. <laughs> he was just really, he was just really stirring, stirring the pot, really getting them encouraged. Let's follow Christ. Oh, wait, if we don't eat you, we have no life in you. Okay, so we're all running in the other direction. I love this, verse 67 and 68, 69. We've just got to go there. It's interaction with Peter. So Jesus said to the 12, <laughs> "Funny, a funny question, I like it. You do not want to go away also, do you? <laughs> he's ready to ditch just every disciple he's had with this one sermon of how, how crucial this sermon is to Christian faith is worth everyone leaving if it's just you standing. He's happy for all the disciples to leave. If you can't receive this, what I'm saying, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, then go as well. Okay. Simon Peter answered him. <laughs> He'd also be very confused, just so you guys know. This isn't like, oh, clarity and like, you know, divine revelation fell. It's just like, that would have been a very challenging thing for any person in that context to hear. We're like, oh, yeah, communion, makes sense. Eat the bread and drink the wine. Like, we're used to that. We're familiar with that. I've never heard this before. All right. Peter's Peter's response is beautiful though. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where where else could we go? He's not saying that was an easy thing to hear, Jesus. Yeah, like pull off an arm and I'm ready to go. He's like, where else would I go? You have eternal life. Your words are eternal life. Communion really it fires me up, as you guys can probably see. Um, I'm going to try and come back to Philippians 3. But but this is, this is everything. If we understand that we don't have life without him, we don't have life without partaking of his flesh, which is his body, which is the bread of life, which is his body broken on the cross for us, his back ripped apart his side pierced, like that's his body and that's the veil we enter through into the new covenant, Mm. his body, his body is that veil and that's why there is no separation between us and the holy of holies, there's no separation between us and our holy God Mm. and we can stand here in false humility and go, oh, we're not holy enough to be in his presence, it's irrelevant, he made you able to enter, Mm. he made you able to enter, so you don't do God any favours or give him any glory by saying I'm not holy enough to be in your presence, he says, I've made you holy. I'm, I'm prophesying until the end of time that you're holy, blameless, innocent, glorious, without defect, you are perfect in my eyes. We measure performance to that. Wrong. He says, that is the state of your being because of my blood over you. If we've entered into this new covenant, that is the state of our being. So being being in holy union with him requires we are holy. So we need to, we need to put off the false humility of thinking we're not holy. And it's not a holier-than-thou concept. Mm-hmm. It's I'm holy because he says I am. Mm-hmm. And because that means I have intimate union with him. Alrighty. I will come back to Philippians 3. Okay. So I, I sound like I'm contradicting myself because I'm talking about forgetting things, even though I'm just taught about remembering. I'm going to jump into um, Isaiah 43, verse 18 to 20, to also... Just, just teach on this is a mindset. this is we, we consider everything else as nothing everything else in our past, the old man crucified dead. Like we need to catch this too. the old man has been crucified. If Christ has been crucified, our old man has been crucified. So it all, it all rests on Calvary. It all rests on the crucifixion of Christ. So I'm going to tell you about forgetting things and not dwelling on the things of the past but I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about forgetting what God has done in your life because otherwise why would Jesus teach on communion and do this in remembrance of me, right? So we need a whole intention, a posture, a, mind, a mindset that we, we actually consider everything else in our past as nothing compared to the insurmountable value of Christ to us in this moment right now and in the future to come. We're, we're going towards him. He is the call. Everything else can fall compared to pursuing him. Alright, Isaiah 43, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Verse 19, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you be aware of it? Or in the ESV it says, do you not perceive it? I just want to rest there for a moment. We need to have, oh, see you later. We need to have a mindset that we can sit in this place of remembering who God is to us while continuing to be expectant of what he's about to do in and through us and even for us. Like he's the God who works all things together for the good of those who love him. This is who our God is and he's doing a new thing right now. We might have been locked up and whatever you, whatever your experience has been and I'm sure it's sucked for most of you, okay? And that's all right, but we need to actually put that mindset off of hopelessness, of disappointment, of frustration... Because it will actually disqualify you from from this rhetorical question, will you be aware of it or do you not perceive it? And that's where verse 18 is the enabling. It's the key to understand what verse 19 is saying in this excerpt of Scripture. Because if you don't remove a a dwelling on the things of the past, because your frustration is actually a past event. Like right now, present moment, you being frustrated was the moment before. You being disappointed was the moment before. So there's an opportunity in this moment, as you're hearing my words, as I speak, for you to actually not bring that into mind. You're not a victim of your circumstance. You're not a victim of your situation. You can choose not to ponder on the things of the past, not to ponder on where your disappointments and and your lack of hope was, your hopelessness, or your, your brick wall, your dead end. You get the opportunity right now because of God's grace and his spirit to actually not ponder there. And instead, look at the Lord. And he's saying, behold, that word behold, he's going, look, I, again, this isn't about us, <laughs> I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. And this is this is a, a word that actually was a prophetic word for my life. And three years ago, I I, I gave it here when we were first in this building. And, and those who are listening don't know what this building is. But um, our Harvest Time Church building, that was a word that the Lord spoke to me, like Clear as day, he said this this needs to be be released and we need to have our hearts and minds in posture in this behold moment. And will you be aware of what I'm doing? It's not about what your human effort can muster in this time. It's looking at what is is he doing? And he's saying it's new and he's saying it's now. So we need to put our minds there. Do you not perceive it? it? It goes into saying he's going to make a way in the wilderness. He's like, impossibility just says I'm possible to me. This is our God. He's like, yeah, yeah, impossible for you guys. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's like, oh, yeah, wilderness? Yeah, yeah, I'll make a way through it. Which also is speaking of a deliverance for his people. And even rivers in the desert? Oh, yeah, where well, there's no water where you would, you would die and be dehydrated and, and pass out? Yeah, I'll put a river in there. Drink for my chosen people. So, so this is where we need to live. It's in an awareness of who our God is. And, and we have special privi- privileges as His chosen people. This is what He does for His chosen people. Which you just need to, the Old Testament's beautiful in that. You see, He is ruthless to accomplish freedom, security, protection, safety for His people. Do they, do they get stitched up from time to time? Yeah, they do. But it's usually because they've turned and started worshiping idols and all the rest of it. When, when they've turned back to Him, He is just like He will push everything out of the way for them. Like nothing can stop them. No impossible situation can stop them. This is the same God, and yeah. and, and we need to hold on to this—that this is who our God is. Nothing has actually changed in His nature. You read the the stories of the Old Testament; He isn't a different God then. He's he's just—he's actually just as fierce. <laughs> he's just as ferocious as he was then. And some people are scared of the God of the Old Testament. I'm like, well, then you probably need to be scared of the God of the New Testament. Was we'll somehow watered down. Oh yeah, no, he's just a fun-loving, kind, yeah, peace, love, joy. It's like, yeah, absolutely. That is the that is the kingdom of God. But he is still a ferocious lover, and he will pursue his people, and he will create way for them to prosper, even at the expense. And again, this will be hard for our ears of others. Mm-hmm. If you, if you read the start of that chapter of Isaiah, he's like, "Yep, Cush, Seba, in your place." You are my priority. You are the apple of my eye. I'll push everything aside to have you, my chosen people. Okay. The, the part as well that was hitting my heart really heavily these last two weeks was we, we cannot be prepared to leave our first love. Nothing else can, can be put in place of maintaining like the flame of first love in our hearts. Mm. And a lot of people, and again, this isn't a judgment, this is, there's been no better time for distraction. There's been no better time to not be focused on the Lord. There's been no better time to be frustrated, to be disappointed. That's all valid. I'm not taking away from the validity that that's been your experience, that stuff's been taken from you that wasn't justified, that you've been forced, all this stuff. Yeah, 100%. That has happened. That's been your experience. But you cannot afford to put your love for him on the altar. And you cannot afford to put your first love on the altar. I'm going to jump into Revelation chapter two, verse four and five, just to, to pull us into this place. There's more revelation to come, as in some more verses from Revelation. So just buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna get the little um. In Revelation it's really nice when he when he addresses the churches, he just gives like a little debrief of who he is. <laughs> He's like, This is who I am, just so you guys know. <laughs> and I just want to read this for us. Okay. So so verse verse one. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Which really, he's saying, like, I have power over anything that is established. And the seven, the seven lampstands do speak of these kind of seven churches that he addresses. But really, he's like, I'm at the center of everything. I'm in the middle of it all. It all, it all hinges and is held together by me. There is nothing else that holds it together. Mm. Like, this is what we need to catch in some of these addresses in Revelation, which are beautiful. He's like, you guys just would die if not for me. Mm. Which is why it's not challenging for him to say that there's no life in you unless you partake of me. It's like, he's unashamedly, I am life. There is no other life. Which we're like all worried about physical health and maintaining optimal this and that. He's like, those people are dead anyway. And I'm just, (laughs) dead in their sin can be alive in God, in Christ Jesus, okay? But I'm just being real. The fact that they're breathing is not the definition of them being alive. Love them, bless them. We want them to be saved and and many many souls will be harvested in this time. But we need to actually understand what is the definition of life based on what Christ says. Yeah. Yeah. It's Him, and it's only Him. Okay, so it's, we're entering into a rebuke clock, which is always fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it starts out good, just so you guys know. Chapter, chapter 2, Revelation, verse 2. Okay, <laughs> I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men, great things. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false, which is also great. They're discerning. They know who God's true followers are. They're able to discern. They're not a true follower. They're not a true apostle. And you have perseverance and, it, and have endured for my namesake. And I'm putting all of us in this camp right now. Like, there has been a perseverance. Otherwise, you would have fallen away. Like, things have been tough for a lot of you guys and in different situations. It requires that you have perseverance and endurance, that you haven't fallen away from God. So this is great. And have not grown weary. Also great. Also teach about us not growing weary of doing good. So they're actually a good church. Like, they're they're a good congregation of people who have persevered, endured through hardship, trial, tribulation, all the rest of it. They've, They've stood firm. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And really, if we can catch just, if you want to catch one thing in this entire time I speak, it's actually this, verse 4. If we don't understand that God is against us, if we have left our first love, we don't understand how much our first love relationship, the revelation of his love to us means to him. So if you've left first love, if you've left the place of actually remembering what I died to give you, which was a relationship with me, which is reconciliation back to the Father, then I'm against you. Not not in a, I want to destroy you at this point, but in a, you don't understand what my love is and what it means to me that you would receive it and stay in it. This is like a jealous husband going, if you forget your love for me, I don't want you as my wife. If you forget that I'm in love with you, then it's, I prefer you not to be my wife because that is everything to me that you know. This is a husband going, I need you to know that I love you. Everything else is, is secondary. Alrighty. Verse 5, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, which I just want to stop there quickly. The deeds you did at first are going to be, what What did you do when you were first in love with me? Mm. How did your heart respond to me? When when my voice was but a whisper, did you drop everything and turn and run to me? The answer to this when you're in love is yes. Like rational, logical thinking is just gone. And and do I want an emotional, experiential love relationship for you guys with Christ? 100%, I'm never going to apologize for that. People are going to tell you, no, don't have an experiential and emotional Blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, 110% have it. He died. He paid for it for you to have it. Mm. He wants you in first love. And that is when nothing else matters. That is when he is your obsession. He is your captivation. He is what infatuates you. You don't want to leave his presence. Like, to get out and, like, eat breakfast is a stretch. <laughs> like, to go to work is difficult, but he gives you the strength to go to work. Mm. <laughs> Like, this is what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> this is how much I know that Christ wants us to remain in first love. And, and what I mean by that is that you are in love with him, that nothing else matters in comparison to being with him. Okay. He, he He's strong. He's strong in his words here. So the deeds you did at first, so that's an invitation. If, if you actually feel that what I'm speaking, again, it probably offends you if, it re- if it's resonating right now, but come back to first love. Use your memory. Like he gave us a memory. I'm, I'm sure of it for this specific purpose that we can remember back on what he has done for us, who he has been to us, the relationship. Because I'm speaking to people who've, who've got a history. You can rehearse that history. Bring it back into the forefront of your mind. That first time he touched you, like the first time you heard him say, I love you. Like you, if you just spend a moment there and, and I'll... I'll have trouble preaching if I stay too long there. But you, that's what I want for you guys. And that's what he wants for his people. He's not going, I'm against you because I don't like you guys, because I don't love you, because I'm not fighting for you. He's going, I'm against you because you, you have put something that is the utmost priority to me on the altar, and it is never to go on the altar. The first love relationship, being being in love with Christ, it is everything to him. It is everything to him. So, uh, yeah, that's my encouragement to you if that's speaking to your heart right now and to take a moment after I've finished speaking, but, but take a moment to actually spend time in that place of just remembering back. Like, just just flick through the pages of your past, of, of your relationship with him, of those moments, those encounters, those times, those words. Spend time there. That, that will mean you'll be unshaken because the cross comes into the center of your focus. What he bled and died and paid for comes into the center of your focus. You can't look at anything else. I'm not going to preach on don't be distracted. I'm just going to say, look at him. Remember him, who he is to you. You won't need to hear don't be distracted. You won't want to look left or right. You only want to look at him. Yeah, the, re- the rebuke has consequence. He says, or else I'm coming to you and re- remove the lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And And I want you to hear the tone of a husband here. He's like, I don't want to have to do this. But if you actually don't turn away from, from not valuing first love, I'm actually going to remove your influence, remove that you are an established lampstand, you're an established church, you don't bear my name because you are not in first love. Your endurance, your perseverance, my namesake, all awesome. But it is not priority. It's actually going to be the byproduct in a healthy way of this love relationship with him. You'll be able to endure through hell. And, and we're going to touch on some verses in Revelation which reveal this to us, that, that hell will come and you have to endure through it. And it's going to be a love for him that keeps you in it. And, and even now we're experiencing minor versions of that. And I'm not, I'm not preaching end times here right now. They've been telling us we're in the last hour for thousands of years, right? So we're in the last hour, guys. We can know that for sure. <laughs> 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 but the repentance here is key, and and this isn't a repent repent message. This is keep your heart tender and sensitive to Him. If there is a hardness, like what Bill touched on, if there's actually you're not receiving what He paid to give you, then we need to turn away from whatever that is. Whatever is a greater priority, whether it's whether it's your cause, whether it's you're fighting for something right now, whatever it is, like everything else needs to come under this first love. Okay. So as well, I, I wanted to touch on: we're not victims in this, and and for some of, for some of us, it's going to have been difficult because things have been taken from us, and it's easy to feel as if you're a victim because things that shouldn't have been taken have been taken, all the rest of it. And you can hang out and dwell in that space, but it's not actually going to produce life in you. It might produce validation and just you feel justified of, of your hurt and your pain. And I want to say that it is, it is valid that there's hurt and pain there, but it's not a place for you to live. And that's why all of what we're speaking about with the forgetting the former things, I'm talking about forget what's holding you down and holding you back. That old man does nothing for you. The flesh profits nothing. Okay, but spirit, and his spirit is calling your focus right now into awareness of him and future hope. Okay, so we've got some more encouraging words from Jesus in John 16, 33, which is, in the world you have tribulation. (laughs) So it's no question about it. You will have tribulation. But this next part that flows from it, this is um, John 16, verse 33. But take courage... I have overcome the world. And honestly, when my flesh read this, and by flesh I just mean my, my natural faculty, I went, why am I taking courage just because Christ has overcome the world? Like, what does that mean for me that he has overcome? But, but Jesus knows that is everything that he has overcome because that he has overcome the world is that you have overcome the world. That he has had victory over the enemy is you have had victory over the enemy. His victory is yours. Him overcoming is yours. And I'll jump into, John, John clearly catches this, this revelation, even though I'm sure it would have been confusing to him too. Then in chapter 16, why, why is Christ saying you need to take courage because he has overcome the world? That means something for your life, that Christ has overcome the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. And if you read the previous verses, it's speaking of spirits that don't confess Christ. Anything that's going to come against you holding firm in your confession of Christ being Lord, being the Son of God, come from the Father, these spirits, John's just saying, yep, you've overcome them. And the reason? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Again, we're, we're, on, we're on this scale of comparison. Everything in the world that could come against you is nothing. Why? Because he who is in you is greater. And I'm going to say than anything that will come against you in the world. And we have God, the same God we're hearing about in the Old Testament, fighting for us. And we have a few times of rhetorical questions where it's like, and we'll get to it in the Psalms, but who can come against me? Who Who can I fear? Essentially, when God is near, when I'm present, that he is here, what can stand against me? It's only a revelation of who he is to you. That is what is going to hold you and anchor you in this time. Your situations and circumstances may be up and down, but who he is to you is constant. There's no shore rock. There's no sure foundation. He is, he is what everything is built on for your life. Okay, I'm going to jump into Revelation 12, uh, verse 10 and 11. And really, I just want to prophesy this over us because it is, it is able for us to be received here and now. And, and for a lot of us, we, we know the experience of this because of Christ. Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. I'm going to read that again. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. All power, all authority rests in Christ's hands. And it's even from that place he tells us to go into the world. His power and authority is our enabler. He is our salvation. We haven't worked for it. We haven't earned it. By grace through faith, he has given us salvation. This part's good. I like this part. The accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. So any accusation, any words that have been spoken against your life, any, and I'm going to say false words, because if they don't contain life, hope, truth, and love, they're nothing for you to entertain. They're nothing for you to dwell on. They're those former things that they just get forgotten. That stuff can just fall to the ground. It has—it doesn't have to have a bearing on your life. You choose whether it has a bearing on your life. But this this proclamation and declaration, the accuser is thrown down. Even if we don't think we're at that point or that stage of the end times, it is a promise from God. The accuser is thrown down. We can just take hold of that. The salvation, power, kingdom of God has come. We're not waiting for it to come. It has come. And if you're saved, you've experienced his salvation. If you're saved, you've experienced his power because he resurrected you from the dead. I'm talking about your spiritual death, but you've been resurrected. You're seated actually on the throne with Christ, as hard as that is for us to believe. But he's placed placed us in heavenly places. We are seated with and in Christ. So the accuser of the brethren, he's not just beneath your feet. He is is like in the dirt on his face. We need to catch this stuff because otherwise you're listening to him going, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that really does justify and validate my circumstances. Yeah, I do feel really pissed off about that. I do feel really frustrated at what's happened. And I'm saying all that is true and valid, but this accuser, he just wants you to hang out there. He doesn't want you to move on from there because then you're a defeated enemy. Whereas, how about that for a lie? He is the defeated enemy. (laughs) But he's taking you down because you've entertained the voice of the accuser. What do we just read? He's thrown down. Will Will we make that a reality in our life? And the enabling is salvation, power, kingdom of God, the authority of his Christ have come. That's why the accuser's thrown down. And and the accuser, we see a bit of his nature here. He's accusing you before God day and night. Like he's looking to build a case against any believer. Verse 11, one of my, fa- one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. And they, referring to the children of God, the saints, those who have overcome, which is us, just so we know. (laughs) They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So why are we overcomers? Only because of the blood. Only because of the blood. But what is the blood going to produce in our life? a word of testimony. And the testimony of Jesus will be that spirit of prophecy in your life. And if prophecy is like, what is that to some of our people who are listening? It's it's him declaring, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. What you've experienced of me, I'll do it again. What you've heard from your friend's life that I did in their life, I'll do it for you. I'll let it be a word that keeps, keeps like his word into the earth, it doesn't return void. It keeps on speaking. It keeps on breathing the same realities. Life, hope, faith, love, truth. His word will keep on doing that. So you're going to you're gonna keep overcoming if you keep on holding onto his testimony in your life. Why? Because it's just a prophetic word that keeps on speaking. Mm. If you keep bringing to remembrance what he's done in your life, he'll keep doing it. Mm. Like each thing you've overcome, like for me with addiction or mental health, if I just bring that to remembrance, like no thought can take me off that place of knowing that Christ has set me free. Mm. And that's not denial. That's just... In my eight years of experience with Christ, it's never destabilized me. Because what his blood has been central to me, of setting my mind free, setting me free from addiction, you might need to hear that right now, that you need to be set free from addiction. And addictions aren't just drugs, by the way. They're addictions to things that you're putting yourself under, the power of any substance, the power of actually anything that is keeping you under its hand. The only hand we are under is the hand of God, and we need to bring this stuff into the center of our minds right now. We're not being oppressed by anyone. I'm sorry. Like we can, we might feel like we are, but the truth is we're not. (laughs) Accusers thrown down. The one who wants to oppress you is nothing. And just, just, just put him next to God. That's all you have to do in your minds right now. Go the enemy versus God who wins. And who has won since before time began. (laughs) Come on, Julesy. If you guys didn't hear that, the answer was Jesus. And he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Victory is God's nature. He's never stopped being victorious. So he's never going to stop being victorious in and through your life. Because the blood of the lamb is the most powerful thing that has ever existed. And actually it's before existence. But the blood of the lamb shed that affects our experience is the most powerful thing to have ever existed. And what it does the state of your being and what it can do to your mind and your heart and your will and your emotions, all these things, you will be a transformed being. And the new creation theology, but really it's just a new creation place of being, will be a reality to you. Mm-hmm. It won't be saying you need to be like, I need to become a new creation, I need to become a new creation. You go, the blood made me that way. I just need to, I need to keep myself in the blood. I need to keep myself in first love. Mm-hmm. I need to keep myself in the sacrifice of Christ and what he saw in and through my life to believe that it was worth being saved which is simply that he loves you, which is why the gospel is simple. It's not difficult news. A a child can be taught this, that that Christ loves them and died for them, and they can understand. And actually, he tells us, be be as children to enter the kingdom. If you're not like a child, you'll not enter the kingdom. We need to be simple in these times, all the complexity I'm not against information it's good to be informed but if it's getting in the way of your communion and intimacy with him it needs to go on the altar even if it's just for a time and a season information is good being overly informed that doesn't pull you pull you into being centrally focused on Christ is not information we need if it's pulling you away from first love if it's pulling you away from intimacy and communion with him it it goes on the altar not your communion and intimacy you see how you can't make a decision there of, oh, yeah, being informed is better than having communion with the living God, mm. the one in whom my life is found, the one in whom died for me. We, we, we can't, like, if you just put the scales up for a second in these moments, you just see what I'm saying. Mm. But you can't put that on the altar. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll be, you'll be as those in Revelation whose, whose position is removed because God does not celebrate you stepping away from first love ever. He'll he'll pursue you and he's desperate to get you back, but he's not going, yeah, that's a church I I celebrate. My tick of approval is on them. No, because first love to him is everything because where he first touched your life, you had a revelation of God's love. And from that place of being first loved, which John catches, then you can love him and then you can love others. Going to rest here really quickly in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It's a, a beautiful prayer from, from Paul over the people at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, which is interesting because we, we actually just read about them in Revelation, but <laughs> it's an encouraging prayer. And Paul says, he would grant you, referring to God, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. And I just want to stop there. I I always get really excited going to 18, 19, 20, (laughs) that this is central, that you be strengthened with power. And, I, and I'm telling you, like, what I've just been speaking about in terms of the remembering of who he is to you, this will this will enable you to be strengthened with power. Because the, the Holy Spirit as well is, is what is going to remind you of God's love for you. It's going to remind you of everything Jesus has said to you and through you. The Holy Spirit brings it all to remembrance. He is like the ultimate rememberer. <laughs> so if you need to hang out with someone who's good at remembering things, hang out with the Holy Spirit and spend time with the Holy Spirit going, bring it back to remembrance for me. I need help. And we all need help. This isn't I've figured out how to remember everything. No, I'm really great at forgetting to remember. <laughs> but that's what the Lord's put on my hand, put on my put on my heart in this time is remember, remember, remember. And this will strengthen you in the inner man. And that's that's the, that's the place where the love of God is poured out through the Spirit, so as He pours out His love into your heart. And and those of us who hope will not be put to shame because of that reason, because God's love has been poured out by the Holy Spirit into our hearts, okay? What that causes in us is that Christ dwells. Because Christ is not separate from his love, Christ is his love. Just like God is not separate from love, God is love. And we know that God is a spirit, therefore love is a spirit that dwells in us why our, our minds as it goes into in these following verses, they're not going to be able to comprehend or understand. Paul Paul gives them a paradoxical teaching which essentially comprehend the breadth, length, depth, and know the Christ, know, know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. It's like, wait, you can't you can't know something that surpasses knowledge. Exactly. <laughs> it goes beyond your ability in in your natural man to understand or receive it. And this is, this is the supernatural love of Christ that, that we desperately need. And this is what will keep us in first love. It will keep us in that place because his supernatural love goes beyond anything your mind can think. Anything your human has an ability to comprehend, it surpasses it. It goes beyond the knowledge. Because knowledge can't contain the love he has for you. We hear about in one of David's Psalms. Like the grains of sand are the thoughts he has for you. Try and count all the grains of sand on earth. That's how many thoughts he has for you. So our knowledge was never the faculty we were supposed to receive the love of God through. Can we know we are loved in our mind? Absolutely. But is that, is that where it's meant to finish? No. It needs to come into our heart. It needs to come into the centrality of our being. It needs to come into this place where we actually know that we are joined with the Holy Spirit. We are joined with the love of God. We are joined with his heart for us. I'm going to rest briefly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, which, which pulls us not only into a first love revelation, but actually pulls us into a, a marital revelation of, of God's heart for us and, and, it, and the heart of the Holy Spirit for us. It reads, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. This is a decision, and, and my belief and interpretation of this is it's constant. We continually join ourselves to the Lord. It's, it is the communion table, spiritually speaking. It's we come and we join, we partake of the flesh and the blood, we commune, we join ourselves. Because I'll say it this way, how are we joined to the Lord? How is it possible that we could be joined to the Lord? Only through the body and the blood. Only through what Christ did on the cross are we able to be joined. But what what happens when we when we come into that place of communion and joining is that the Spirit joins our Spirit to Him, so we become one Spirit. and And this is this is marriage talk. This is the two become one. But we we, we think that marriage is a, a representation or depiction of the relationship with God. No, no, no. God is. <laughs> the relationship and revelation of marriage that we happen to enact in a minor way on earth. He's going spirit to spirit. He's going the the center, the central part of your being, the very central part of your existence is joined to me. For you are spirit, you are spirit in a body. The body is secondary to the spirit that you are. And that spirit is joined to the Holy Spirit. And I just want to, I love the word joins here. It's kolalo and it's to glue together cement Fasten together, join or fasten firmly to join oneself, cleave to. Which again, even the definition of that word joined speaks into our hearts, the marriage, which we actually hear about in, in, in Genesis of you'll leave your mother and father and will cleave to your wife. He's, he's, he's taught it since the beginning of time. Did Adam even have a father and mother to leave? No. But actually it touches on this forsaking of everything and cleaving. Leaving what was familiar, what was your home, and cleaving to the wife. That's why we, when we, we get married, we leave mother and father and we cleave to the one to whom we are joined to. We are fastened together and in that place with the Lord, which for me, the encouragement again is be continually fastened to him. Be continually joining yourself. Are you joined full stop? Yes, but keep joining yourself. Let your heart be drawn in intimacy towards him and draw near and he will draw near. And this, you'll find the cement hardens there. Mm. You are cemented to him and your spirit is one with his spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit brings all the, all that we need. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. We, it's the same spirit that rose him from the dead. If you need resurrection power, if you need an impossible situation to change, come into this place of intimacy and joining with the spirit. You'll look at things differently. You'll see differently. You'll see situations, outcomes, how they could unfold with hope. Okay. I feel I feel like I've spoken for a while, so I'm going to finish in Psalm 27. But by finish, I mean go through eight verses and <laughs> spend some time there. But are you guys good? This is one that I couldn't get away from as well when when I was thinking. (laughs) I love it. Um, Beautiful. So this, this does touch on what we actually understand of David, like the mystery of what did he do to strengthen himself in the Lord. The Psalms are a great indicator of what he does to strengthen himself in the Lord which is often pour out his heart in vulnerability, (laughs) pour out his heart in this is everything that's going on, but then this is who you are to me. And we can learn a lot from from David and the heart of David because it communicates everything else is secondary to you. Even if my whole world is falling apart, you are everything to me. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? (laughs) Which is funny. These rhetorical questions, he's got people pursuing his life, trying to kill him. He's like, who will I be afraid of? Who will I dread? And again, it's it's compare God and his enemies. And he knows who God is to him. So who will I fear? Who will I dread? And for us in this time, are we giving our fear and our dread? And this will sound strange to other things apart from God. God is deserving of our fear and dread. Mm. Not because he's going to punish us but because He is fierce and ferocious and He could destroy your body and your soul. He could. Will He? No, He loves you. (laughs) He's not going to destroy it. But does He have the power to? Absolutely. He created it, He could uncreate it. The fear and the dread, it belongs to Him. Verse 2, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. My heart will not fear. Does he have reason to be afraid? Absolutely. But does he know who his God is and that means his heart will not fear? Yes. He knows that my Lord is my light and salvation. I'm I'm actually not going to fear anyone. I'm not going to dread anyone. My heart will not fear. Though war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. This is intimacy. This is, he knows who his God is. This is, he has spent time in secret, pursuing the face of God. He knows who he is to him. And you see the posture of his heart in these next four verses. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is a heart posture. I don't want to go anywhere that your presence isn't. Who does is the house belong to? It. It's God's house. God is in that house. God is in that place. He doesn't want to leave it. He wants to linger and stay there. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Behold the beauty. Behold the beauty. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. You can you can see that David has resulted to one thing. My heart that I would dwell in the presence of God in his house, that I would behold his beauty. That, that no matter what is going on around me, this would be my central focus, which we, we, we see he catches the same revelation in Psalm 23. He goes, yeah, yeah, the Lord, the Lord knows my enemies are there. He puts a table in the midst of them, and actually he prepares it. He didn't accidentally put it in the midst of my enemies. He, he, he chose, I'm going to put, yeah, just right there. All your enemies around you, yeah, yeah. Just going to prepare a table for you. We'll just, we'll just fellowship and spend some time together. You can just look at me, you can sit across the table from me and look at my face. Everything else, like it will just blur away. Just like when a when a lens focuses in on on its subject, everything else just blurs. That the sharpness of your focus at looking him and, and he's calling us to come back to the table. Mm. Come back to the table. He's prepared it for you. He knows everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going on. Every detail more intricately than you know it. Mm. He knows it but he's preparing a table for you in the midst of it. And, and David David catches this. He understands who his Lord is to him in the mess, who his Lord is to him in, in the midst of people wanting to take his life, encamping around him to take his life, like surrounding him on all sides, but he knows the surrounding presence of his Lord more than the surrounding presence of his enemies. Which is actually the word panium, which is like he's before, behind, in front of, all around you. Hmm. and actually he he knows his Lord is victorious, why? because he knows that he is lifted up on a rock which to us can speak of Christ, he's he's lifted up onto the victory and what does that do for him, verse 6 now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me Mm. We, we actually see that this is elevation this is you're on ground level with all your enemies this table that's prepared, we're not talking on natural planes here. <laughs> this is an elevated space. This is this is in the spirit with the Lord. You're elevated. Why? His head's above the enemies. Mm. He's not meeting them at eye level. He's going, no, I'm, I'm with the Lord. Mm. I'm sitting at the table. He's prepared for me. And then he gives something to the Lord that's costly. Mm. He offers him sacrifices with shouts of joy. Mm. The context is he's surrounded by his enemies. <laughs> And he is joyfully shouting. This is like similar similar feels of Paul and Silas in, in Acts. It's like, Oh yeah, we're in prison. What are we going to do? Praise God. <laughs> What's David going to do? He's surrounded by his enemies. Oh yeah, he's pulled he's just he's just talking about the Lord. He's going, Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, i I've choose to behold his beauty. I choose to be in his in his house, dwell in his house. The Lord puts me in the secret place, he hides me there. My enemies can't even see me there. And then he lifts me up. And we, we, need, we need to hear the heart of that. We need, we need to catch that in our own lives. It's the secret place. It's, it's behind the doors that don't always need to be a literal door, but it's a place of communion and awareness of him. You're coming into that place, and it's got to be constant. It can't be a moment of, of you taking the elements. I encourage you guys to, to take that moment, to take the elements. But it's got to go deeper. It's, it's got to it's be a revelation we, we receive that affects every day that we live not once a month when the church takes communion or whatever it is, or if you do it weekly or whatever, whatever your heart and, and desire is around communion, it's got to be daily. Mm. Not whether you're eating bread and drinking drinking wine or the fruit of the vine, but communing with him. Mm. I'm just going to finish on, on verse 14 because I love this. It's just a revelation. It's actually instruction from David. Honestly, I feel to us... <laughs> That the Lord's written through His hand. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And I just want to finish and rest on this. Waiting is not passive. This is, if we just read through Psalm 27 as like a blueprint, it's this is everything that's going on in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm resulting in choosing one decision which is to seek his face, which is to gaze upon his beauty, to look nowhere else but at him. And I'm going to praise him for who he is to me. And, and honestly, like, we need to be praising him, and it needs to be sacrificial. We need to give him something that costs us something. And, and we're made to worship. We need to be praising praising our, our Lord. But this waiting isn't passive. This is expectancy. This is expectancy. This is who my God is. This is who I know him to be. This is what he does for me. He hides me. He lifts me above my enemies. He, he lifts me above my circumstance situation so that I can see and think in a way that I wouldn't otherwise. So I'm going to strengthen myself. I'm going to strengthen my heart. I'm going to take courage and continue to wait expectantly on him, knowing his nature, knowing who he is to me. And I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. I will not look anywhere else. okay i feel like i've talked a lot this morning but i love you guys <laughs> um, if the if the um, worship crew are happy to just create some space thank you everyone for, for listening and, and choosing to be connected with um our family and with with harvest we're, we're blessed by by the listeners but more so blessed by the, the hearts of those who are listening and um yeah, know you're loved and just want to bring, bring you back into that invitation of, of first love and, and create some space for you just to engage with the Lord and, and engage with your history with him. And I even encourage you just to take a few minutes to just, to just rehearse that history to go back and think on, on where he showed up in your life, where he's touched your life those places that no one else loved that he's loved. Yeah, the rejection he's met with acceptance. Yeah, the pain he's met with his healing touch. Yeah, the, the peace that has just made anxiety disappear. <laughs> the joy that has just made mourning and, and what's felt like ashes into beauty. Yeah, he wants to strengthen you. He wants to strengthen you with his joy this morning. He wants to strengthen you with his presence, for, for in his presence is the fullness of joy. He wants, to, he wants to show you what he is like. He wants to show you his face. He wants you to come face to face and, and just look into these, these eyes of grace that, that stare back at you. They don't want to look anywhere else. They don't want to move on to the next thing. it it is his joy to commune with you it is the reason Christ came so that you would know his love and, and dwell in his love Something over you guys before we just enter into this this song. It's just a, a personal reflection of of coming into intimacy and, and focusing on on Jesus. Looking deeper into Thy face, layers and lines of unending grace, intricate attention. We are face to face captured by the dimple in his cheek he's saying the secret belongs to the meek his smile and pleasure spread so infectiously i am gazing so intently irises of fire mesmerizing me the tears are running i can barely see now it's just you and me. His pupils dilation causing complete fixation beckoned into cavern of intimacy. He says it's all to abide with thee. He says it's all to abide with thee. In thine eyes we intertwine the branch and the vine. I am now yours and you are now mine.
3: Just an altar and
4: a Love is
3: found here.